Welcome to the Codifier Podcast. Codifier is a podcast about breaking down emerging trends and technologies into bite-sized chunks for everyone, from software developers to sales gurus to even your grandparents, so that they can stay clued in and techno-savvy in today's ever-changing world. Stuart Brand was quoted as saying, Once a new technology rolls over you, if, if you're not part of the steamroller, you're part of the road. If you don't know Stuart Brand, he's worth a good Google, yeah? Uh, he's a, an author, an American author, and if you've got leanings towards both technology and environmentalism, I think you'll find him a rewarding and challenging read. I'm Steve Jaguar. This is Codifier, episode 12, Staying Relevant in a Technology-Driven World. So we're going a bit philosophical with this one. It's one of those podcasts which isn't the offspring of late-night research, countless hours of trial and error, tempered by seminars, articles, and other people's podcasts. This one is real life, whatever the hell that means. If you found yourself working in the technology arena, the Thunderdome, it can be as exciting as it is challenging. Sometimes these are one and the same, and sometimes they could not be farther apart. Being a Gen Xer, myself, I feel like I was there at the beginning of the home computing boom. I remember the rise of Steve Jobs. I remember when Bill Gates was the young genius instead of Mark Zuckerberg. Except, of course, when he famously said, 640K is all the memory anyone will ever need. Or words to that effect. Okay, fine, he didn't say that. Thanks to the post-truth world, I think it's probably perfectly okay to attribute that statement to him or anyone else for that matter. Even better if you turn it into a classy meme. Now, getting back to the 80s and 90s when I was young and so was technology, and of course, also the era where air quotes were first invented, back then I learned to program in C language. I could disassemble my PC and fix it myself. I could even overclock the, the CPU to get more gusto from it while I was building my Linux kernel that I got from Linus Torvalds, the OS namesake himself. Because that was the only place you could get it. I will return to Linus as a flagship example of staying relevant in the technological age, as he is one of the most influential people in our technological era. And let's talk about that era. We are currently in a phase of advancement which is, to say the least, complex. It's extremely difficult now to be the polymath, aka Renaissance man. That used to be possible. The term Renaissance man goes back to, uh, well, yeah, the, well, the Renaissance, uh, but especially to one individual, Leonardo da Vinci. He was the quintessential polymath with interests and expertise in invention, painting, sculpting, architecture, science, music, mathematics, engineering, literature, anatomy, geology, astronomy, botany, writing, history, and cartography, just to name a few. To be considered an expert in such a diverse breadth of subject matter would now be considerably difficult. I promise that will be my biggest understatement. Technology is no different. Even my podcast, whose intention is the simplification of technological concepts, could potentially run for a century without really making any dent in the number of possible subjects it could cover. It's a far cry from when I started out in computers when I was considered quite good at all things computers. So, what happened? 
Why did it suddenly go boom and we went from homemade computers with 64K to a phone that can play my entire music collection, keep me connected to a friend in real time, track my fitness while simultaneously mine for bitcoins? I recently heard that an iPhone 7 has the computing power of a Cray 3 supercomputer. Hmm. If you don't know what that is, Google it. It was big and inconvenient. Techies will know what I mean when I say Moore's Law. Gordon Moore was a founder of Intel who stated, observed, and predicted that the number of transistors per square inch would double every year if technological advancements continued. I realize that was a bit geeky to say. Um, hopefully everyone knows what a transistor is. Essentially, they're getting way smaller. As it happened, he was wrong. It was more like 1.5 years. But nevertheless, it meant, roughly put, that all of the technology from the beginning of the invention of transistors until 2007 is what it took to make the first iPhone. That phone was like Star Wars or like The Matrix. It was groundbreaking as a piece of tech and the first real user-friendly smartphone, you know, arguably. Touch screens of that quality and responsiveness weren't even in our imaginations only a few years before. So now consider Moore's Law. In 18 months, we'll double our capacity for technology. It's kind of mind-blowing. Sure enough, if we compare the original iPhone to the iPhone 4, which was released three years and two cycles of Moore's Law later, we have approximately four times the technology in terms of memory capacity, screen, and performance. Going back to being a programmer in the 90s, I remember optimizing code into assembly, essentially that means machine code, in order to get the peak performance given the hardware that I had available to me at the time. Software capabilities were limited by the platform upon which it ran. Now, software design methodologies have changed radically. Hardware has surpassed software, in, mo in many cases, where you can order a supercomputer from a number of cloud computing services in a few seconds. Software architectures are switching from big monolithic applications to small purpose-built components which pass information between each other to achieve a greater purpose. Gone are the days where communication bandwidth issues, processing or memory limitations, or even geographical constraints are getting in our way. Now, I'd like to say the world is changing faster and faster, but it's actually kind of changing at the same rate it always has. It's just that that rate is somewhat exponential, making it feel faster and faster. Artificial intelligence and machine learning are trending topics instead of sci-fi film subjects. An impressive amount of technology runs our world, and an ever-growing number of people have no idea how it works. It's just taken for granted. So for those of us who love the, love the tech, the geeks, how on earth do we keep up? Being a polymath would require us to be independently wealthy so we can be on permanent study or infinitely smart, ideally both. I recently heard Nick Zabos, the Bitcoin entrepreneur and blockchain technology founder referred to as a polymath. I don't doubt it. He has the prerequisites, but it is a rare state of being. Let's consider the normal technology developer for a moment, though. I have plenty of software development friends in their 20s who are head down in coding and loving it. They can code up a pretty feature-rich application in a very short amount of time in their chosen language, and they can certainly do it better than I can now. 
However, where will they be in 20 years? When I started coding in C, I was coding for at least 10 years before a new language of any credence emerged. At that time, it was called Java, which is still around. Even Java took another 10 years before it was really taken seriously. Now, I see development teams flipping from C-sharp to Java to Node.js to Go within two years. You've probably never heard of Go. Possible. The best coder might not be the 20-year veteran, but might be a 16-year-old kid. In fact, software technologies are changing so quickly that an industry guru can be crafted in as little as four years. I mean, take a look at Ethereum entrepreneur Vitalik Buterin, Russian-slash-Canadian, Go Canada, who at the age of just 19 introduced the blockchain technology-based Ethereum network, building on the work of the mysterious Japanese-sounding Satoshi Nakamoto's Bitcoin legacy. All that said, an experienced developer can just as quickly become a dinosaur. Okay, this is the final codifier episode of the season. I know. I'm sorry. Don't cry. It'll be okay. I'll be back. Sometime in August, and I'll have recorded a few new exciting shows for you. But in the meantime, why not go back through the catalog? I think even though this is episode 12, we do have quite a few uh, more than that due to our two-parters. And share the ones you really liked with your friends on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter. And send us a message at codifier at gmail.com or Tweet us just to let us know the type of content you'd like to see in Season 2 starting in August. Until then, I'm Steve Jaguer. This is Codifier Episode 12, Staying Technology Relevant. Let's get personal. My struggle has been a factor of location, interest, and curiosity, which can at times combine to shoot you right smack in the foot. Sometimes job selection, opportunity, or even corporate dysfunction can steer your career path in directions you might never expect. My direction has been driven at times by redundancies as a result of corporate-level irrelevance, but that again is a whole other podcast. Skipping to the end of my story, how do we stay relevant? You and me. Relevancy is a key to happiness. If you've ever heard of Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, and if you haven't, there's a good link in the blog for this show, it's a rough guide to happiness, a top five, if you will, a checklist for life, with the basics like air and water and other physiological requirements way up there at number one. If you're in a first world country, well done. You were born in the right place. You don't really have to worry about some of the physiological or safety-based requirements in his pyramid. But the things very, 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 very close above those as requirements for a healthy life and a healthy mind are things like belonging, self-esteem, and self-actualization. And as we get older, we find these things tend to trail off. As we get comfortable in a job for a long period of time, perhaps we're not keeping up. Maybe we've had a few kids and... Your focus has been deviating from self-development to development of other people. But eventually comes a time when you start to realize, I need to really think about myself and making sure that 
I'm happy and I'm relevant and I'm feeling that I'm part of this. So to try and help you out, I have created a list. Yes, your faithful podcaster's list of ways to keep staying on top of our game. Let's stay relevant and hey, maybe we'll even carve ourselves out some essential position in our own marketplace. So without any further discussion, and in no particular order, here we go. The Codifier Top 7 for Staying Relevant in a Technology World. Of course, it's seven. Nobody does fives and tens anymore. So here is number six. Read more books. Less Fifty Shades and more The Trousers of Reality. Quite a good book by Barry Evans, philosopher and technologist. Let's call it Upgrading Your Perspective. You can do this by reading others, and doing so has expanded my thinking and broadened my interests. It even created a habit of buying books and reading several at the same time, meaning it does actually take me ages to finish anything, but I generally get there. My recent read, I think I even mentioned it in my first podcast, was The Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins from way back in 1976. I heard it recommended on a podcast. Reading not only sparks my creative side, it also sometimes even improves my vocabulary. Let's talk about soft skills in a moment. Okay, number five. And I just realized I started at six, which means I only have six things. Okay, that's the way we do things now. We switch it up. Number five, podcasts. Of course, I'm going to say podcasts. I can highly recommend putting a bit of time into surfing through the iTunes podcast lists. Podbean, Libsyn, Stitcher, these are all apps that can help you on your variety of mobile devices. Build a small collection of curated podcasts that are relevant to your interests. Personally. I love podcasts like The Cyberwire, TEDx Radio, How I Built This, which is an NPR podcast. I listen to The Bugle for comedy, and a podcast called The Comedian's Comedian, which is kind of a documentary comedy about how comedians construct their material. Really interesting. There are others. Uh, I've curated my list by downloading a single episode occasionally from a large group, giving it a listen, and Really, within a few minutes of listening, you'll know if you like the delivery, the vibe, and the subject matter. If it does work, subscribe and move on. I think you'll find that only a few podcasts really float your boat, so you might have to look through a lot, make sure they fit the bill. It's a, it's a subject matter perspective. Hopefully, if you're listening to this podcast, it fits the bill. Oh yeah. So, moving on to number four. Learn. I realize that's pretty condescending. Learn? What are you talking about, Steve? Come on. But it's true. Courses can be very beneficial, but they can also be free. Yes. And many employers, whether you know this or not, have a budget which, which translates to a tax write-off for sending staff on training. Quite often this budget goes overlooked. So a simple query might reveal there's money going to send you on a, who knows, programming boot camp public speaking course, something that can give you a valuable certification to your credit. So tap into your HR department or your manager and ask. There might be some money just sitting in a pot that no one's using. Either way, taking the odd course, even if you have to do it on your own time, is the kind of thing that kind of sparks your brain back into learning mode and can keep you on point and maybe just ahead of your colleagues maybe make you a little bit more in demand to the job market. And that brings us to number three. Don't settle. 
you don't have to hate your job. We kind of live in a culture where we're expected to breathe a sigh of despair as we go to work, and how we do anything to get away from work. An earth-shattering midlife crisis is well-fed by this approach. I know many people who have settled into a career, I'm making air quotes, that is quickly becoming a job, almost without them realizing it. When the excitement of a new employment goes and that scary learning curve has been completed, there's a sense of relief in feeling, I made it, now I'm doing a good job. However, it's kind of a slippery slope to a complacent existence that could come back to haunt you. Chris Rock did a, a really great job of separating a career from a job when he said, You got a career? There ain't enough time in the day. There ain't enough time. You got a career? You look at your watch, time just flies like, God damn, whoa, it's 5.35. Damn, I got to come in early tomorrow and work on my project. Because there ain't enough time when you got a career. When you got a job, there's too much time. So don't let your career become a job. It's that simple. Just because you've got a high-paying salary and a, and a manager and maybe you're in the middle somewhere and you've got some people directly underneath you, um, that doesn't mean you're happy. Don't let it become a job. So as a four or three or as a part, what are we on, three, part two to that, think about something called lateral job movement. This probably feels counterproductive sometimes, but it can be liberating and a really low-risk way to shake up your career and spark a new interest in your workplace without the difficulty and stress of having to look for an entirely new employer. So if you feel like you're stagnating in your role, but you like your employer, it can be quite invigorating. And most employers value honesty and are happy for employees they may risk losing to move into a new role if it means it saves them on recruitment and keeps you happy, productive, and learning. Okay, getting close. Number two. Money does not buy happiness. The Beatles said it can't buy you love, but I think that one's debatable. I had a job that paid, I guess, six figures sounds good. And I worked 80-plus hour weeks to get that. I justified my ridiculous work ethic, because it paid so well. And that was the expectation. I, I ended up leaving it to work at a job that paid half that amount, less than half, actually, just to get my life back and see friends, maybe family. Hey, feel like I was in control for once. I realized it also afforded me the time to re-educate and do all the things I've already been talking about, research new job opportunities in my own time, and tailor my career path to my exact requirements. When I wasn't sure what that path should be, I really dug into myself and asked some hard questions about really what did I love doing and what did I think would pay off in the long run. Believe me, dropping my pay by 50% was not cool. Ask the bank, ask my wife. I could barely pay the rent. But that one decision to just leave that job and go with something that, you know, it was an interim position that just gave me an income uh, while I tailored my life, tailored my career, has definitely paid off, even if it was psychologically. I'm definitely uh, on a really awesome path right now. I'm loving this podcast, loving the company I work for, and loving all the work I'm doing in the cybersecurity spectrum. So I, I, I highly recommend it if you find yourself in a situation and you're, and you're staying there simply because you think you're getting paid well, that might not be 
the, the definition of happiness you're really looking for. Okay, that's getting a little bit deep, but let's proceed to number one. The number one thing I would recommend to stay relevant in the technology space is improve your soft skills. Yes, I mentioned soft skills roughly earlier. There was a time when I didn't even know what that meant. Soft skills? What are you talking about? I get it now. It turns out that knowing a lot of techno stuff is great and it can score you a pretty good job. But being able to, you know, talk good and junk about it can open doors you didn't know existed. It will mean you interview for jobs better. It will mean you communicate to upper management and your peers better. And, hey, you might even be better in conversation after work when you're talking about that latest and greatest cybersecurity threat. Now, how do you actually improve your soft skills and what does it really mean? It comes down to reading books. Now, I talked about that earlier. A lot of that feeds into soft skills. It talks about learning how to present yourself and constructing presentations of technology in a better way. Many major companies offer presentation courses to hone not just your PowerPoint skills, but also improve your confidence with delivery. I, I've, I've done a few of those. I did one the first time with Motorola where you were allowed to present anything you wanted in five minutes. But what they did was they filmed you. It was quite painful to watch. But I learned so much about myself. They count the uhs and the ums, and they even sometimes will play it back in fast motion to see if you've got some kind of physical hand-wavy tick that you do. It looks a little bit ridiculous, because you'll see it over and over again. You can also join a group called Toastmasters. That's a global organization of people like us looking for a safe haven to improve your soft skills via public speaking. It can be an awful lot of fun and a great way to expand your friend circle. Now, an alternative is to start writing. Uh, that's an additional thing that I did. I started writing the blog. I started writing for my work. I started contributing to the public relations side of the company I worked for, an area I didn't even know existed until I offered to start doing some of that. You know, when you, when you see an article in the newspaper and they say, hey, we just talked to expert Johnny Bubblecakes at the University of Hoo-Ha about artificial intelligence, and they said, blah, 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 blah. You can be one of those people. It just so happens that most major organizations have a PR company that is trying to get them into the press because why? It looks good for the company. It looks good for you. And plus, it gives you practice at trying to summarize some of your technical know-how in a concise way. And it's really, really quite good, particularly when you're trying to explain what you do to your family and friends. But also, at your workplace, you'll probably notice that all the upper management people can walk up on stage and give an ad hoc speech about what your company does and the technologies it represents without a whole lot of prep. I wonder why that is. It's because they've been practicing this sort of stuff on the side, and they've probably done all these same presentation courses I've done to try and hone and tune their skills in front of people. What's great is that it does cross over into real life. You get a lot more confidence and it, as we said, can open new doors in your workplace once you find that your techie skills are being outstripped by the new guy. So quick recap, back to the beginning, read more books, listen to more podcasts, try out some courses, check with HR and find out if there's a budget. If not, loads of free ones online. Do not settle if you hate your job. 
look for lateral movement, don't think that money buys happiness, and finally, improve those soft skills. Hey, why not start a podcast? I did. This has been Codifier, episode 12, the final one in series one. Thanks for listening. This has been Staying Relevant in a Technologically Crazy World. My name's Steve Jaguer. Steve out. I will see you in August. <laughs>